Hallelujah. You know, I think God's okay with being reminded just how majestic He is. Amen? How many do that on a daily basis? If you don't, you should. Amen? You should be doing that on a daily basis. I think my microphone just went off. I think it's coming back on. <laughs> I have nothing to do with that part. This part I do, and sometimes this doesn't line up with this, but you'll bear with me. Amen? <sighs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I asked for it. You're right. I love you guys. You guys are awesome above awesome. God has blessed me with a great church to uh, be a pastor over. I am so thankful for all of you. Thankful for your faith. Thankful for your prayers. We're still in our sermon series on the book of Daniel this morning, where we're going to talk about a very happy topic that all of us are really uh, more than willing to talk about, our sin, right? Yeah, we're going to be talking about dealing with our sin, that happy topic. But before I get into that, I remember one hot summer day where I'd been working hard and I was hot and I was thirsty. Well, I decided I was going to go by Casey's and pick up a bottle of Gatorade. And I remember paying for the Gatorade, uh, walking out the door, and almost before I got out the door, I was opening that thing up. I wanted a big drink. Well, I took the little clear plastic wrapper thing off, and I pulled up the lid, and I took a big swig, and nothing came out. I thought, what's the deal? What's going on? There was something blocking the Gatorade from getting out. So I decided, well, maybe I better look under the lid. Anybody ever run into this? Under the lid, yeah, there's a seal. Let's just call it the uh, technical term, a little plastic thingy, okay? This little plastic thingy was under the lid that was blocking this from getting into me. Let me just say, if I saw this laying on a sidewalk, I wouldn't think much of it other than somebody threw it down. They littered a little bit. If I saw it laying, laying on our kitchen countertop at home, it would be no big deal. But at that moment, it was a really big deal because I was thirsty and I needed this, but this was blocking this from getting into me. I said all that to say that I believe in the world that we live in. There are a lot of Christians out there, a lot of Christians uh, out there that are frustrated. Because when you hear me up here every Sunday talking about how God wants us to live the abundant life and experience the abundant life, you're frustrated because you're not experiencing that. Well, I might just suggest to you, you're not experiencing that because you have this in your life. This is blocking that from coming into your life. And I'm not talking about a plastic thingy and a Gatorade bottle, okay? You've got this, which in the Christian life is sin. This can be blocking the flow of God coming into your life. Sin can be flow, uh, blocking the flow of God, keeping back you from experiencing all that God wants you to experience. Because have you realized that God definitely wants to empower you? He wants to strengthen you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to flood over you with his presence and his power and his grace. And the reason you and I don't experience the refreshing power of God on a daily, consistent basis like we should is because we haven't dealt with this in our life. Because we haven't dealt with the sin in our life. And dealing with this sin in the church world is called repentance. We've all heard of repentance. It's not a word that we really like that well, but we've heard of repentance. Repentance is not, I'm going to change my behavior. Do you realize that? 
Repentance isn't, I'm going to change my behavior. And I will argue that I think the church has been in that mode way too long. That we're telling people, you got to change your behavior. you got to stop smoking. you got to stop drinking. you got to stop chewing. you got to stop running around and cheating and doing all of this. Let me argue that we're dealing more with the fruit than we are the root. Did you hear? We're dealing more with the fruit than we are with the root. Because repentance is not a change or just a change of behavior. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart that then leads to a change of behavior. But before you change your behavior, you know what has to happen? We have to start seeing sin like Jesus sees sin. And you know, when we start seeing things the way Jesus sees things, guess what's going to happen? We're going to start doing what he says. When we start seeing sin for what it is, we're going to start doing what he says. This is why we need to spend time in God's Word. And you and I as followers of Christ should deal with repentance every day. Just because you follow Christ doesn't mean you're perfect. You won't be until we get there. We still fall short, we still sin, and we need repentance, data repentance in our lives, and it's a changing of our mind and heart that leads to a change of our behavior. You know, you and I can have this plastic thingy in our life, and we can come into a church service and we can sing as many praise songs as we want. We can say as many prayers as we want to say. But this doesn't come off automatically in our life. Do you realize that? It just doesn't drop off one day. It takes some effort, and the only way you're going to receive the refreshing power and the abundance of God in your life is to deal with this that's in our life, to deal with this thing called sin in our life. That's why I think some people come to, can come to church. They can have a good time. They can hoop and holler. They can get excited. They can get goosebumps, but they can leave unchanged. Because they only came in and they hoop and hollered, they got goosebumps, and they walked out unchanged. I think that's why a lot of churchgoers spend their whole life in church, hearing the Word every Sunday, but never are changed. And you know why that could very well be? is because they still have this in their life. They still have this blocking whatever's going on or whatever God wants to do in their life, because this is still there. And it's still blocking the flow of God getting into your life. This is still there. This is still blocking the abundant life that God wants you to, and me to experience every day in our lives. But we've got a problem with this. So my big question is, early on in the message, what is this in your life? Think about it. Let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. What is this in your life, that thing that you need to stop and deal with? Stop and take care of. With some of us, God's been dealing with that thing or those things for maybe week, weeks, months, maybe even years. And it's holding back the power of God from coming into your life. And it's holding back the power of God from stepping in and being the God that He wants to be in your life. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you can you imagine how much He wants to come into your life? Do you realize how much this thingy is keeping God from coming into your life? Because God has to separate Himself from the sin. God is waiting for you and I to deal with what's going on in our life. You want refreshment from the Lord? It starts with repentance. Amen? The truth is revival always happens after repentance. Always. You repent first and then revival comes. So what is this that needs to be removed from your life today? Now let me get into the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember from last week, is the king of the mightiest empire in the world, the empire of Babylon. 
He's a great and mighty king, and after he sees what God does with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and even Daniel, he praises the God of Daniel. But he kind of stops there. He doesn't full out commit. He doesn't full out submit to the God of Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that freaks him out. Um, I don't know if he's been spending too many late night trips to Taco Bell or eating too much pizza, but this dream freaks him out. He dreams of this big, huge, honking tree that gets cut down, and it freaks him out. So he calls in his wise men, his advisors. Long story short, none of them can interpret the dream, so he finally calls on Daniel to interpret the dream. And whenever King Nebuchadnezzar asks Daniel to interpret the dream, he doesn't work off of his own abilities and wisdom. He seeks God, and he seeks God, and he gets this interpretation, but it is so astounding Uh, So bad for the king that he is almost speechless. Listen to what it says in verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So Daniel knows exactly what the dream means. He just doesn't know how he's going to break it to the king. But King Nebuchadnezzar wants to hear the interpretation no matter what. But can you imagine Daniel walking into that room to King Nebuchadnezzar? probably knowing his life could be on the line, walks in there and says, King, I don't think you want me to interpret this dream for you. I really don't. I don't think you want to hear what this dream really means. And the king insists. And he goes, okay, here goes. You know that big, huge honking tree? That's you. You know that big, huge honking tree that gets cut down? That's you. God's going to step in and he's going to cut you down, O king. Daniel explains then how the king is uh, going to be allowed to become totally insane. He's going to be driven out into the wilderness to become a wild animal. Um, Then he goes on and says, and God's going to humiliate you, King Nebuchadnezzar, because he's going to prove to you that you're not the Almighty. He's the Almighty. Then Daniel pleads with the king to change his course, change his ways, and repent. Um, Daniel 4.27, this is him telling the king to do this. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins. Another way to tell him, you better repent, king, by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel is just being honest with the king. He's saying, if you're you're not going to stop doing what you're doing, it's not going to go well for you, king. It's not going to go well. In fact, it's going to get bad. Really bad. You know what? Today, I believe the best revelation you and I could ever get from God is to have a real understanding and a realization of our own sinfulness. Do you realize that God allows us to see our sinfulness not to uh, punish us, but to correct us, actually to lift us up? Because He knows above everyone else the long terms of this being in your life. Day after day, year after year, God knows what happens, and it doesn't go well, and it doesn't end well. Look at verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. All this that was prophesied happened to the king. But look at verse 29. shows the mercy of our God. Twelve months later, notice that God's judgment doesn't fall immediately. He gives him 12 months. He gives him a whole year to repent, to get things right, to turn things around, to renounce his uh, sin. And repent, and he doesn't. It says, so 12 months later, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he says, is not 
Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and my majesty? Now, to his credit, under his leadership, he had accomplished some pretty major things for Babylon. Historians would agree that he did some pretty major things to the empire of Babylon. Uh, He expanded the city of Babylon. He created himself and built himself a brand new palace. He restored and enlarged all the cities. He refurbished the streets, and he even expanded and rebuilt the walls around the city for protection. But after it was completed, guess what old Nebuchadnezzar does? He goes on up on the roof of his brand new palace and looks out over his brand new city that he has built. And that's when he says what I just read before, but I'll read it again. He says, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Did you notice something right there? This is all about Nebuchadnezzar. This is all about him from front to back, from top to bottom. In verse 29, we see this mighty king taking a stroll on the roof of his brand new royal palace right before he commits the Uh, One of the biggest sins in his life that changes his life forever. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read that story and I hear that story, it sounds familiar. A king on a roof before a fall. Is anybody tracking with me? A king on a roof before a fall. Kind of reminds me of the story of King David, who was strolling on his roof of his royal palace one day, right before he committed the big sin with Bathsheba. It's no accident that they're talking about a rooftop. I believe that's symbolic of a high lofty place. I believe that's symbolic of a place of pride. The Bible says that pride comes before a what? A fall. Pride comes before destruction or before a fall. Maybe the symbolism is perfect for these two guys because David at that point was kind of arrogant, maybe a really arrogant person. Nebuchadnezzar was, without a doubt, a very arrogant person. And both of these guys were brought down by, not by somebody else's sin, but by their own sin. Both these guys were at the top of the chain when it comes to power and authority, and they both fell because of their sin. And don't miss this next part, because Nebuchadnezzar messes up, and he he, uh, messed with God's glory. Let me tell you, anytime you mess with God's glory, it's not going to end well with you. Look at verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox seven times, which means for seven years, Seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. In other words, God is saying, King, this isn't about you. This isn't about you. The only reason you are who you are is because I have made you who you are. But King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to take all the credit, take all the glory that belonged to God. You've got a big problem when you're there trying to take all the credit and all the glory when all the credit and all the glory belongs to God. Amen? So he's got problems. Look at verse 33. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. So right here, we've got Stephen King colliding with Scripture, amen? 
we've got this horror film that comes to life. What's actually happening here, happening here is Nebuchadnezzar is an illustration of the end result of somebody that totally rebels against God. And I think he's a warning to all of us that the further we get away from God, the more beast-like we become. Think about that. Further we get away from God, the more beast-like we become in our ways. And think about who this happened to, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the greatest monarchs in the world, the most powerful king in all the world. Because of his sin, he was driven out of the palace. Because of his sin, that beastly heart that he had was exactly what he became. He ate the grass in the field like the ox. He wasn't fed even table scraps from off the palace table. He wasn't sheltered by a home or a barn. He was out there day and night in the elements with the rain and the dew falling on him. His hair grew out like the eagle's feathers, which shows us pretty major change in his body, right? When you start having feathers, I'm saying some changes are happening. His nails grew out like claws or talons. This guy became this wild, undescribable type of creature because he had sin in his life. But look what happens in verse 34. Some time has passed, and at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then, he says, and it took him seven years, but then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of this earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? That just tells me no one can really question Almighty God. So Nebuchadnezzar, after seven years, what's he finally do? He finally repents. He's like, okay, God, okay, I get it. You were right, and I'm wrong. And I believe he's telling God, this time I'm not just going to try to change my actions. I'm going to change my thought life. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change how I think about you and, and knowing how you think about me and what you want me to do. Long story short, he repents. Look what happens after he repents. Verse 36. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. You can't tell me repentance doesn't bring change. Amen? Non-repentance brings a lot of change, too. And for him, it was becoming this weird, crazy creature eating grass in the pasture. But repentance changed it all. I think our problem is so many times we believe that if somebody finds out who I really am and about my real sin in my life, if my sin is exposed... I think, first of all, we think, well, God's not going to like me anymore. Uh, he's going to uh, punish me. You realize God's not wanting to push anybody down. Our God is there to push everybody up. Our God is there to encourage those that are down. But I think the reason we're not experiencing God's abundant life in our lives is because we don't want to deal with that one thing, or maybe those few things, or maybe those several things, in our life that keeps holding us back. Let me tell you, repentance can change everything. Nebuchadnezzar's whole life was changed. God took him to a whole lot greater place after he repented. Look at verse 37 now. And remember, this is the king. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. 
This is the king, after he comes to his senses, is saying this about Almighty God. And don't miss this. He's not saying everything that he does is right because he's had the best time of his life, because he hasn't. That's not the best time of his life, being pushed out into the wilderness to live like an animal. But he lives seven years on the outside, like an animal, and he finally comes to his senses, kind of like the prodigal son, comes to his senses and says, God, you are right and I'm wrong. And God restored him. God totally restored him. In fact, he did him one better. He restored his kingdom. He restored his mind, his honor, his respect. And like I said, it was a whole lot better than it was before. Can you imagine being where he was before and then he just steps right back in, not to just his kingly position, but an exalted kingly position, an even better position? There might be some people in this place today. You're dealing with some stuff in your life, and maybe God, because of his love, is just trying to get your attention. He's saying, let's get real. He's saying, we live in a broken, fallen world. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have problems. But keep this in mind. If you're not putting me first, God says, if you've got other idols in your life, if you've got unconfessed sin in your life, it's time to repent. If you've got all this or any of this going on in your life, it's time to repent. You know, a lot of us have been there. We've come to our senses like that prodigal son, like Nebuchadnezzar did. We've come to our senses and we throw up, the, I think, the most powerful prayer in the world. Help me, oh God, right? Help me, oh God. And it changed everything. The moment he called out for God, it changed everything. Sometimes God will take drastic measures to bring the change, not to punish you, but to correct you. So the first thing, I'm going to give you some points if you're a note taker today. Three things that will unblock the flow of God into your life, help you to experience the abundant life that God promises. Number one is simple, humble yourself. Humble yourself. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar didn't do, so it was done for him. If you remember verse 31, it says, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, your authority has been taken from you. So God humbled this mighty king into submission by driving him out into the wilderness to live by this like this crazy wild animal. It's kind of like the story I heard about this guy in his office got promoted to vice president of the company. Well, it went straight to his head. Every day he was bragging to anybody and everybody that he was the new vice president. Until he came home one night and his wife kind of shut that down. She said, Bob, it's not that big a deal. It's really not that big a deal. These days, everyone is a vice president of something. She says, I found out last week they even have a vice president of peas down at the IGA store. Well, he thinks she's lying to him, so he gets on the phone and he says, may I speak to the vice president of peas, please? And she says, well, sure. Which one do you want, fresh or frozen? Let me just say, that humbled the guy. There's power in humility. The Bible even tells us to humble ourselves. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. If you're willing to humble yourself, God is willing to lift you up. If you're not, He doesn't make us a promise to lift us up. But if you're willing to humble yourself, He will lift you up. Because humility is not just an attitude, it's a lifestyle. Humility is actually saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. And if we would just learn to humble ourselves, guess what could happen? Anything. 
God could do anything He wanted if we would just humble ourselves before the almighty throne of Almighty God and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, you're the power, I'm not. You've done all this and I haven't. Just to humble ourselves. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. The Bible says He refuses the proud but gives grace to the humble. He refuses the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That shows us how powerful humility is. Humble yourself before God, and God, like I say, could do anything He wants to do in your life. But be prideful and arrogant. It's going to take you down every day. It's going to take you down. So I think God is just telling, hey, learn to do things my way. Humble yourself, and that's how you're going to experience the abundant life of God. Point number two. Point, point number one. Point number two is seek good advice. If you want to experience the abundant life in your life, seek some good counsel. Did you notice in our story, the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did was not to seek good counsel. He goes to his wise men, his astrologers, his gurus to interpret the dream. Even though he knows Daniel is a man of God, even though Daniel has interpreted other dreams, he doesn't go to Daniel first. And you know why I think he didn't? It's because he knew that if he went to his astrologers and wise men, they would tell him exactly what they wanted him, he wanted them to tell him. They would tell him what he wanted to hear. They would say, elevate the king above his already elevated ego. We don't know exactly how that all plays out, but one thing I do know, when he called on his wise men of his kingdom, they couldn't translate the dream. They couldn't translate it at all. How many of you have ever gone to someone and got some really bad advice? How many of you ever acted on that bad advice? It didn't go so well, Amen. Got some bad counsel, it turned out bad. Well, listen to what it says in James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I think the true test of our willingness to humble ourselves is our willingness to confess to someone else what we already confessed to God. Hear me out on this, because we need those kind of people around us in our life. That scripture I just read pretty well spells it out. We need each other. We need people like that in our life that we can trust, that we can go to, that can lift us up, that can encourage us, give us direction and guidance, sometimes some correction and uh, uh, some tough love. But let me say this, when you do, don't just call on anybody. Call on somebody that you've built a relationship that you know is a godly person, a very trustworthy person, because if they're not, you better just not tell them. Because things can go and get a whole lot worse. I'll just say this, where you get your advice tells me a whole lot about what you think is important. Where are you getting your advice today? Is it Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> is it Oprah? Is it Dr. Phil? I'm not trying to put them down, but is it? Newspaper columns, magazines, is it chat rooms or celebrities or stars? Let me just say, if you're looking for celebrities and stars for your advice, I've got one word, ooh, or maybe two words, ick. Because think about them, they're all about themselves. They're all about making everybody like them. Uh, that's their job. So I'm just saying they're not a good source. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar sought the advice of all the wrong people. I want to challenge you today in this message to seek good advice. And I'll tell you this, don't get advice from someone that's more messed up than you are, okay? <laughs> because what's going to happen is you're going to become as messed up as they are. Not going to work out real good. The king eventually received good advice. But the problem with the king, that was his last resort. He had exhausted all the other options. Tell me why. 
Is it that when we need answers, we go to everyone and everything else before we go to God? I think it's our human nature, but it's a human problem. So if somebody you trust, even somebody you trust, comes along and they try to correct you, try to give you advice, take it with grace. Uh, Don't immediately get offended. Say thank you and say, hey, I'll go home and pray about it. And go home and pray about it. But when you go home and pray about it, take it to the one that gives the best advice at all. Take it to God and get the right advice instead of going everywhere else first. Go to God first. Um, Seek his advice first. Number three, if you're taking notes. Confess it daily to God. Confess what? Confess your sin daily to God. Romans 3.23. And this encamps us all. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? Simply put, it doesn't matter how you clean it up on the outside. It's still dirty on the inside. No matter how you try to look good on the outside, a lot of times we're hiding a whole lot of stuff on the inside. And a lot of times we're hiding behind our sin on the inside. So I pray this prayer probably almost on a daily basis. I'm sure I miss a few days. But Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24 is really a prayer. Uh, It says, uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Did you catch that? It's a prayer. Search me, O God. Try my heart. Try my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then turn me around and lead me in the way of everlasting truth. You know, David that wrote this psalm was yearning for God like you and I ought to be yearning for God. He was yearning for an intimate relationship with God, a personal relationship with God. You know, a lot of people say they know about God. There's a whole lot of difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Because it's one thing to be introduced to somebody. It's a whole lot, another thing to get to know that person personally. Do you realize the problems are only going to be solved in our lives by ultimately the God that created you and me? That's what's going to solve your problem today. I'm not saying he can't use the help of a godly person next to you, but ultimately we need to go to God for the help that we need. That'd be like me needing my car to be overhauled and taking it to a plumber. Amen, that'd be crazy. That would be silly. Or if you needed an operation, taking it to a machine shop. Let me tell you, when you need spiritual help in your life, there's only one place to go, and that's to God that knows how to give you exactly what you need. The Bible goes on and teaches us that God won't allow sin to go unpunished. God takes sin very seriously. We may not sometimes, but He does, just like He did with King Nebuchadnezzar. And I'll say in this life or in the life to come. And I love this quote by Billy Graham that he said one time. He said, sin digs for itself two hells, one on this side of death and one on the other side of death. Think about all the hell on earth that we go through, and we do. We do live in that fallen world. Think about the hells on earth that we deal with. We can put it under the blood of Jesus, and the Bible says we should put it under the blood of Jesus, but you know where it starts? With repentance. It has to start with repentance. It has to start with confessing our sins, acknowledging to Him and asking Him to forgive us. That's where it starts. I'll tell you what confession is not. It's not this magical statement that we say that gets us to pass, go, and collect $200. It's not that. It's not this magical statement. It's not saying, God, I screwed up, and and we throw up this Hail Mary prayer, and then we go our own way. It doesn't exactly work like that. I know some of you are already thinking about it. Well, what, what about 1 John 1, 9? It says, if you confess your sins, He is faithful. 
and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What's wrong with that? Nothing. That's exactly true, but this is also true. Confession is not just information. It's transformation. Confession is not information. It's transformation. Confession is not going to God and say, God, I've got this in my life, and then I go out and do it again. Come back the next day and say, God, I've still got this in my life, and then I go out and send some more. God, I've got this in my life, and I go out and do it again. Confession isn't that at all. God, confession is actually, God, I've got this in my life, and I want it out. Confession isn't telling God about what you're doing like he doesn't already know. Confession is saying, God, I've got this in my life, I want it out, and I don't want it to be there anymore. Because when you get to that point, and you'll repent, and you'll confess, that can bring revival into your spirit. That could bring revival into your life. Some of you don't have revival in your life because you're not taking the moment to say, God, I'm sorry. God, I messed up. I was wrong. You are right, and I need your help. And God loves you enough to erase it, throw it over his shoulder into the sea of forgetfulness, to forgive you once and for all, to where if you bring it back up then, he says, what are you talking about? Amen? Because he is that forgiving. He is that loving. He erases it and throws it out. We just need to get to the point to let revival break out in our lives. God definitely wants us to be full of joy, but do you realize sometimes the fullness of God's joy and the abundance of his life is only going to come when we deal with this in our hearts, when we deal with this in our lives, and when we remove this. And I'm not saying we can do anything, but we remove it by taking it to him, giving it to him. And saying, God, I need you to take this out of my life. Could you stand to your feet this morning? I know because we're only human beings. And I have to say I'm probably one of the biggest sinners in here. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you think that God, that causes God to love me any less? No. You think that causes God to love you any less? No. In fact, let me read a scripture. Revelation 3.19. And these are the words of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So he has a reason. Those that I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. You know what would scare me to death? Is if I was out there knowingly sinning, and I didn't feel bad about it, that I didn't feel any conviction about it, that'd be a scary place to be. So if you're out there sinning and doing what you want and you don't feel any wrong about it, you don't feel any conviction, I'm just saying, where's your relationship with Christ? It might not be exactly where you thought it was. Verse 20, Jesus says this, and I love this scripture. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I love that because I can visualize Jesus standing at the door of my heart, knocking, wanting me to open it up, wanting me to open it up and let him in. In other words, I think he's saying today, goes along with this message, hey, you know that thing right here, this little plastic thingy, that sin in your life, it doesn't have to separate us anymore. You can repent, you can be forgiven, and you can be restored. Jesus says, I'm on the outside of the door, and I'm knocking, and I'm wanting in. If you've never accepted Jesus here for the first time, Jesus is knocking on your door. Jesus is knocking on your heart, and he's wanting to come in, because do you realize, and I do funerals all the time, if you're not ready, you're lost. 
We have to live ready, people. We have to be ready when that trumpet sounds, and we have to be ready when we take our last breath here so our first breath will be in heaven. Amen? I'm just saying if you're not ready, you have a God that loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you from the deepest depths to the highest heights. He loves you for the widest widths. He loves you every, in every way that you can't even imagine. But it's still up to you. What are you going to do with this in your life this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to pray a scripture this morning. Uh, it's that scripture, Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24. I'm not going to pull out a whole list of sins that you guys have, uh, could have committed. And I could have pulled them out. But I'm not. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit direct you today. Let Him convict you of whatever's going on in your life. But could we, and you can open your eyes and look up here. We've got it on the screen. I want you to pray this with me. Uh, could we start here right now? Just search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, I believe that right now God is moving. God is moving. Could we bow our hearts in prayer? Because I believe God is here to move right now. He wants you to think of the thingy, plastic thingy in your life. The thingy that has brought destruction or will bring destruction into your life. And I want you to take this moment of, of quiet and say, God, I'm sorry. You are right and I'm wrong and I know that I need your help. Just pray that within your own heart right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for true repentance, God, that's coming, that's going on in this room today. Lord God, I pray that you would help each one of us to come to you with repentant hearts today. Open our eyes to our own sin. Let us see how our sin is blocking the flow of your presence and blocking the flow of your abundance in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would bring renewal into our hearts and our minds, that you would renew, totally renew our walk with you. Father, I pray that renewed commitments are being made this moment, and I pray that you would transform us into the people that you have called us to be. God, we need you. We can't go through this life on our own. You didn't create us to. We need you. We, we ask for forgiveness for our sin. We pray that you would lead us and guide us and direct us to become all that you've called us to be to experience the flow of your presence into our lives like never before. In the mighty name of Jesus. And if you agree with that, just say amen. And can we give him a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Go out and change the world for his glory. God bless you all.